0: The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by By you. So please visit patreon.com slash Legendarium to to support support the show. But for now, welcome welcome to to the Legendarium. Legendarium. Welcome everybody to the Legendarium Podcast. And today we are earning that name because today we're talking about the Lord of the Rings Appendices... I am Craig. And over there, she is Megan coming in, piping in, piping hey. in hot. Hey, from everybody. The, uh, I had, I had to turn off
1: my air conditioner because I was afraid that it would make too much noise. So I may be pretty warm <laughs> by the end of this.
0: Well, uh, so today we are
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> turning off my AC. That's what we're doing Speaking today. Speaking
1: of air conditioning.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So today we're talking about the Lord of the Rings appendices. I This is it, it, true to form, because with the previous six Lord of the Rings books, those are Lord of the Rings books. They're part of the story proper. So I did real episodes with insults and and poetic recaps and all that stuff. We're skipping all of that today. So uh, today it's just me and you, Megan.
1: I know. this is. Are you
0: nervous? Are you, nervous? A are you scared?
1: Bit, a little bit. I know how much you love this, and I I just don't want to make it terrible.
0: <laughs> is it so, too
1: late? It's too late, isn't it?
0: Uh yeah, well. sorry, everybody. So much like the Lord of the Rings appendices, I don't think you know what you're going to get uh, when you listen to this episode, because I don't think we know what we're going to do. I know. This is kind of an off-the-cuff deal here, and we're going to be talking a lot about Discord comments uh, and just kind of working our way through the appendices and, and talking a little bit about them. We'll probably get into a little bit of lore, because that's, you know, it's what I do, mm-hmm. and I am who I am. hmm and, uh, and we all
1: like that about you. Do we? we uh, certain people like that about you.
0: <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> now, now we're talking. So, the Lord of the Rings appendices. It's a bit of a shock when someone comes to this. They get to the end of the story, and Sam says, "Wait, well, I'm back." And the end, and you turn the page, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, it's a hundred pages of of what is this? Charts and yeah, uh, you know, family trees and chronologies, and oh my gosh, what is going yeah. on here?" <laughs> And much like the prologue, and much like the poems throughout much of the story, I think a lot of people just skip it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yep. Megan, you have read this book what three or four times before this, yes? And had you ever read the appendices, or did you just skip it?
1: I read bits and pieces of that. Like I always, I have such good intentions of reading them, and yeah. I'll get about ten pages into it, and then I'll flip forward and I'll read Aragorn and Arwen. And then I'll flip forward and I'll read through the timelines. And I really like the, the, uh, The chronology. Yes. That makes more sense to me. And this time, you know, you suggested that I read at least appendix A. And I realized that the chronology is basically just telling me what just happened in appendix A. And I was like, oh, that actually helps. So I'm (laughs) glad that I tried.
0: (laughs) So what was,
1: I don't remember anybody's name.
0: But <laughs> so let, let's talk about Appendix A. Okay, so okay. Appendix A is the Annals of the Kings and Rulers, and so we go through the Numenorean Kings, we go through the House of Aeorl, mm-hmm. and we go through Durin's Folk. So we've got the Numenorians, the Rohirrim, and the Dwarves in this one. Did you, did any of those grab you especially? Uh, and uh, did you enjoy reading any of them especially?
1: I did enjoy reading them. I think this is the very first time I've ever read about Durin's Folk and the Dwarves. Mm. And I just thought, okay, that's amazing. Why isn't it the first piece? Because it is just a really, a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: um, what'd you like about it?
1: Uh, I I liked that it gave me a lot more insight into the Dwarves where it talks a little bit about how there really aren't that many Dwarf women.
0: <laughs> um, yeah,
1: But also that, I don't know. I guess I'd always been kind of confused about the, there seemed to me to be a disconnect between. The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings where um, I wasn't quite sure where Gimli came from because um, I'm a bigger fan of The Lord of the Rings than I am The Hobbit. I'm sorry, I'm that person. Um, <laughs> but it, it just made a little bit more sense and I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand where they're coming from with the Misty Mountains and how that relates to when they go into Barad-Dur um, and I also just kind of it was interesting, they had the battle with Thorin's dad grandfather yeah,
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: where they all get together and they go to this battle and at the end they're like he's like yeah we won we rock and everybody else is like but was it a victory though because we yeah. lost so many and then they all just kind of split up and go into their own thing um
0: it's so a, it's so- uh it's all very it, it's quickly nuanced right if it were yeah. a if it were an actual written out story um it, it might be even more interesting but Uh, It's kind of interesting that even within the space of a few pages, Tolkien is able to give a story, uh, you know, a little bit of nuance and say, oh, yeah, I mean, the dwarves won, but it's a bit of a pyrrhic victory. And look at the price that they had to pay. And it really kind of shattered their people for generations to come, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's true. Um, And
1: it it also kind of brought together uh, what happened in between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. The dwarves. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like the very last section, which I probably read 30 minutes ago, um, is Gandalf talking about how pretty much the fate of the world might have been different if he hadn't run into Thorin uh, when Thorin was looking for a thief and the treasure hunters.
0: Yeah, yeah I love that. It gives you a little bit of a kind of a prologue almost to uh, The Hobbit. It goes yeah. all the way back and says, this is how it all actually started. And it, But it's not It's not. I, I guess it could feel cheap uh, or like, oh, he's just going back and uh, revisiting the greatest hits or something. But it, in some way, it kind of feels earned because it's yeah. so short. Um, yeah. And it's just kind know. of
1: reference. Like it's not really part of the story. It's just sort of this extra thing that you find out if yeah. you dig a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, one thing that jumped out to me, actually, speaking of the dwarves, is uh, and you talk about it giving you extra context and all that sort of thing. It's actually in the section on the house of Eorl where there's a uh, there's a Rohirim uh, warrior uh, f- uh, whatever his name was Fram or Fram, whatever. okay and he actually killed Skatha the worm so the a dragon he killed it he it, this this guy slew a dragon okay. and took hold of the dragon's horde. Uh, so he's got all this gold and all this treasure. well, the dwarves claimed it as their own they're like hey this the dragon stole it from us just because you killed the dragon doesn't make that your stuff and he uh he would not give them their treasure instead what he did was he made a necklace out of the teeth of the dragon and (laughs) sent it to the dwarves and said here's you know hey this is more valuable than anything else i've got you know look at this basically like my trophy here you can have my trophy Uh, And they were so insulted by this that they went and killed Fram. Anyway, there's a line in there that says, uh, let's see, (laughs) some say that the dwarves slew Fram for this insult. There was no great love between Eotheod and the dwarves. So the the Rohirrim and the dwarves have a historic grievance against each other. And it gives you just a little bit of color for when you go back and you read the section when... uh, Aomer and Gimli meet for the first time uh-huh. as they're, they're chasing after the hobbits and they meet Aomer and they get into this little bit of an argument and it's like, man, why are they like, these two especially seem to be going after each other. And, Oh, I wonder if that's part of it because the, the Rohirrim don't like the dwarves and vice versa.
1: Which just cracks me up. Cause it is such a, I mean, for Fram to do that, it is such a, okay, this, may come across wrong, but it's such a British thing to do where it's like (laughs) back in the day, the British went and plundered like all of these other lands and brought everything back to their own museums and were kind of like, oh, finders keepers. Right. Which um, It might have been a little bit, I don't know, it probably wasn't even like poking fun at the British for that, but I could totally see it being that way where I'm like, oh my gosh, that you could have so easily been like, oh, you're right. I guess this is yours. But no, that's not
0: what he was gonna do. It's you know, it's, and it's kind of shades of what happens in the Hobbit as well. Yeah. You know, the the people of Lake Town, uh, who are the people of Dale. They want their cut of the treasure and all, yeah, all that stuff. But we don't yeah. need to get bogged down in that. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Okay. Um, not that I, I nobody could answer it, so I don't expect you to be able to answer it. But so, so Tolkien was writing a very Catholic story. We talked during part six about the um. Uh, The eucatastrophe and, you know, the atonement of Christ and all this stuff that's kind of uh, figures into the Lord of the Rings proper. And so he's writing a very Christian story. But the origin of the dwarves, uh, they were not created by God. They were given life by God, but they were created by this kind of rogue God who went and he made the dwarves. And then God was like, "Um, "Okay, whatever, fine. And he breathed life, life into them. Anyway, so they're kind of this weird side species that we've got the elves who are the firstborn. Yes. And then we have the men who are the followers. And then we've got the dwarves, right? And so it's, they've kind of got a weird beginning and nobody knows where they go after they die. We know what happens to the, we know what happens to elves, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've read the Silmarillion, which I don't believe you have. I have not. Um, so we know what happens to the elves. They stay within the confines of the world and they go to the halls of Mandos or, you know, you, maybe you call it, they, they cross the river Styx, basically. Right, okay. Uh, and uh, with men, when they die, nobody knows for sure, but it's assumed that they go back and live with God again uh, in the heavens. So they leave the confines of the world. But what happens with the dwarves? Well, there's an interesting bit about Durin so Durin was the eldest of the Fathers of the Dwarves, so okay. one of the original seven dwarves, and there's a line in Appendix A where uh, there's a, there's another dwarf that comes along of that line, Uh, let's see, five times an heir was born in his house so like to his forefather that he received the name of Durin. Yes. So if you go through the chronologies and go through these stories, they're just labeled like Durin 2, Durin 5, Durin 6, whatever.
1: Which which I think is fascinating Um, because I read that line and I thought, how did they know how like Durin he was?
0: I I don't know. I don't know exactly. Like, but,
1: oh, this guy's pretty cool. Let's make it. <laughs> <in> it.
0: <laughs> but it, it raised the question for me. I wonder if um, if uh, reincarnation figures into Tolkien's highly Christian mythology oh. in some way, if this is a real thing, because it says he was indeed held to be held by the dwarves to be the deathless that returned. So during mm-hmm. the deathless. Returns as the, you know, I mean, this is what they talk about it. Who knows if Tolkien actually set this up as the truth, but sure. for they have many strange tales and beliefs concerning themselves and their fate in the world. And so the dwarves apparently believe in reincarnation uh, in this highly uh, Christianized world. I just thought that was interesting. I'd never That's quite me. thought much about it before. I mean, I knew I knew about Durin and the Deathless coming back and all that, supposedly, but right. I never thought about it in those terms. So well, I kind I of I like
1: that because I, I thought it interesting as I was reading through all the tales that they I'll, they reuse a lot of the names. I mean, there's a Denethor one that mm-hmm. Denethor, yeah. you know, is named after and a Boromir one and all of these things. And Which is
0: weird because you're the only Megan.
1: I know, right? <laughs> there are no other Megans about my age. Is a big old fat lie. Um, <laughs> I once did a play where there are literally four Megans in it.
0: Oh, gosh. It was
1: the most frustrating thing. Um, but, you know, in that circumstance, you know that they were naming, you know, Denethor after another revered steward of Gondor. Um, so the idea that I, I just kind of like this reincarnation idea, which sort of puts that on its head, where they don't yeah. necessarily think Denethor is the same person, but also like in honoring him they're also trying to bring back the spirit of him
0: yeah yeah
1: in him which
0: he could be i don't know so yeah let's let's move actually backwards a little bit i want to go back to um in in appendix a there is the story of numenor and the realms in exile so then you get the story of ariador arnor and the heirs of isildur so Mm -hmm. uh Oh, and then you get Gondor and the heirs of Anarion. So when Numenor falls, this is the ancestors of Aragorn. Numenor falls. It's swallowed up into the sea. And uh, and then uh, Elendil comes back with Isildur and Anarion, his sons. And they establish two different kingdoms. And then you get kind of a brief story of both of those kingdoms. And I actually really quite like that because... Again, adding color to the story. You don't need it for the story to be fun and to make sense and to flow and all this stuff. But mm-hmm. this uh, can take you right back to the scene with the Barrow White. And it tells you essentially, not not exactly, it doesn't give you a name, but it tells you essentially who this Barrow White is mm-hmm. or was. Why he's buried there, why there's all this treasure, why, you know, the battles that occurred around there, it tells you all about Weathertop and what it used to be and how it used to hold a Palantir. And I, I really enjoy all of that. So I, I don't want to skip right past the Numenorean stuff because I, I love the color that it gives to both of uh, both of those kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor.
1: Yes, I agree. And I, uh well, I hope this goes along with the point that you're making, but I... Um, one of the things I made a note of that I probably won't be able to find now because didn't write it down. I just put a little sticky note in my book, but it talks about um, the parents of oh my gosh, the guy in charge of Rivendell,
0: uh, Elrond.
1: Thank you. The parents of Elrond, and you know, the El- Elrond is actually basically only half elf, right? Um, which was one of the reasons why Eowyn was able to choose whether she wanted to go over the sea or whether she wanted to live the life of a regular mortal,
0: yeah. um, which is something
1: yep. that I always wondered about. I just thought that that was so weird that she could apparently just, I mean, for <laughs> thousands of years, and yeah. now she can just choose to die. Like that's very, that's really right. strange. I guess it's cool that she had that choice, but I just always thought that was, re- so it's kind of nice that they went through and they explained a little bit of that.
0: So, so did you catch who Elrond's brother is? No. Um, Elrond's brother is named Elros. Okay. And Elros is also half Elven, but he chooses the path of men, and he becomes the first king of Numenor. Oh. So and okay, so
1: that is how he, how Aragorn is related to. Never mind. Continue.
0: Yes. No. That's uh, that is how Aragorn is related to Arwen. She is his. uh, I want to say his first cousin. I. I think it's like 46 times removed or something along those lines. Yeah, marrying
1: Uh, your cousin, awkward.
0: (laughs) So I can't remember the exact number. I went and and traced it at some point and now I can't quite recall. Uh, But anyway, yeah, there's some fun stuff. We should talk about Aragorn and Arwen, but I wanna hold off for just one more minute and we'll talk about Aragorn and Arwen. Um, But I do wanna talk about how much fun I have with the, the story of the Rohirrim. So, yeah, this is and it's one where, look, you get done with this novel and Sam says, well, I'm back. The end. And then you move into a history textbook. Yes, basically. Right. That's the way the way that he writes it is it's no longer a a straight narrative with characters and arcs and all this stuff. No, he's just laying out. Here's what happened. Um, And so it's a little bit tough. Sometimes if you're not like really dialed in and paying attention, it's tough to catch exactly what happens. And it's kind of that way for me. It took me a few times through before I realized um, how much fun I was having with the uh, Rohirrim where they were this people who were scattered. They were kind of these scattered tribes or families up in the north. Okay, So they lived up above Mirkwood um, or I, I want to say it was above Merkwood. It would have been Greenwood at the time. But anyway, at the mouths of Anduin, of the river Anduin, and um, and they didn't they didn't have a a great societal structure or anything, right? They're just kind of this scattered people. Mm-hmm. The Gondorians are they're having a battle with the wild men who live up in that region, a different tribe of people, right? And uh, so the Gondorians go to war with those people, and then the orcs, who are I think it says are in great strength at that time, come out of nowhere. And just beat the crap out of the Gondorians. And they're pushing them into the river. The Gondorians are trying to retreat. And they can't figure out. Like they, they don't know what to do. They're all going to die. Mm-hmm. And the Rohirrim. Who I don't think they were called that at the time. The Eotheod, Was. Uh, they, they gathered themselves together. What forces they could. They got on their horses. And rode in. And, and rode down the orcs. And the wild men. And saved the Gondorians. And. As a reward. So again, this people was uh, they were kind of scattered. They were more or less leaderless, mm-hmm. and they were being slaughtered by Easterlings. So the the wild men of the east, who eventually would ally with Sauron in the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and um, so they these people were getting slaughtered. So the Gondorians said, "Thank you so much. Here, have half of our land, basically." Right. And they they brought them down and gifted Rohan to them. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's where we get the kingdom of, of Rohan, which was only, I mean, in terms of this story, this feels like a short amount of time, only 500 years before the Lord of the Rings takes place. Huh? Yeah, it was that's not. Kind of...
1: And yet it was enough time for them to, I mean, the, what did they call themselves? The Eorlingus?
0: The Eorlingus? saying it. Yeah.
1: Yes. That was cool that you were able to say the word. <laughs> um... That it was enough time for them to, like, build themselves up and do really well. And then all of a sudden, like, they had a whole lot of battles and they did really poorly, which is when Saruman was brought in to, hey, you take over Orthanc and watch over these people because they're kind of struggling.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly.
1: And then build up again.
0: All right. So we're going to talk about Aragorn and Arwen and then and then I'm going to get to a bunch of discord questions. And I think that's how we'll wrap up. I, I don't know if we're going to go a full hour. I guess we'll see, but okay. Aragorn and Arwen. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And this it's is. a whole at-
1: thing. And actually I kind of like that he <laughs> pulls it out and it's its own thing at the end, because if he had bl- blended it into the rest of the book, I don't know. I kind of like that. It's just like this little love story.
0: Well, let's, let's tease this out. It. Why? Why? Because, um, this is a major complaint. It has been a major complaint for decades about the book proper, right? The the actual narrative that there aren't enough women in it. That um, you know, Arwen gets shoved to the side, et cetera, et cetera. And Tolkien did say that he wished that he could have put this story into. Uh, the Lord of the Rings or into the, the, you know, the novel itself. Right. But he just couldn't quite get it to fit. He couldn't quite get it to flow. And so this is what he decided to do is kind of stick it at the end. Um, But you, I'm, so I'm kind of surprised that you said that you like it this way. Um, You say you like it just as a standalone story.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I, I agree that it just, I can't imagine how it would have flowed in with this story. Um, I mean, I guess, I go back to the movies because, again, that's how I was introduced to Lord of the Rings. Is I watched uh-huh. the movie first, the first movie first, yep. and then I had to read the books because I couldn't wait two years to find out how it. <laughs>
0: was. Yep.
1: Um. But I, I appreciate like there's there's a part of me that thinks okay, they could have stuck those pieces in that were happening in the present within the Lord of the Rings story. They could have put that in, and that. But even then it's only a really tiny part of the story. Mm-hmm. And so how do you fit in this whole, actually um, Aragorn grew up in the land of Rivendell and Elrond was basically his dad. And then 20 years later, you know, he He's like, oh,
0: he's like, oh, hey, adopted, adopted dad. Yeah. Uh, I like my adopted sister quite a lot. Ooh,
1: <laughs> awkward. And-
0: And uh, and so Elrond basically says, sorry, go on.
1: No, that's fine. But there, it's basically, I mean, we come into this 69 years into the story where they've known each other for 69 years and they've been waiting for all of this time. And there's not really a great place to explain all of that within the Lord of the Rings story because even though he's able to throw in the bits and pieces out about other historical figures and stuff, it kind of comes up naturally within the story. But Aragorn is not really one to go into detail about his personal life so how would we find out about this like it's not like somebody's well Eowyn kind of (laughs) asked about it where she's like oh you have a girlfriend okay I can back up I guess yeah um but I don't know I just I don't feel like it would have been true to Aragorn as a character to really go into more detail about it within this I don't know
0: yeah yeah and it is it is um so tantalizing to get little hints And you get little hints in the story itself, and then you get come here to the appendices, and you get just a little bit more of a tease about, uh, yeah, Aragorn when he was he he came to Elrond and he said, hey, I want to marry your daughter, and Elrond's like, f off, Um, and so (laughs) enough
1: or cool enough, and you have to yeah,
0: exactly. You're you're not the king of Gondor. You're not the king of Arnor. You you know you don't have uh, you don't have the status yeah yeah you don't have the status to marry my daughter. So just go go distract yourself. So he goes for decades and. Uh, and he fights with the Rohirrim, and yeah. he fights with the Gondorians, and he goes to Mordor, and he, you know, has all these crazy adventures that I'm sure were uh, worthy of books by themselves. And uh, and all we get is these little sentences about yeah, and then he dwelt with the Rohirrim and and rode with them for a time. It's like, oh, come on! Yeah.
1: And part of what I think is interesting about the story, because I was thinking about that, how there are so few women in the Lord of the Rings. And the one we really get to know the best is Eowyn. And she is this woman living in a society and in a time where she's supposed to wait at home. Um, And that's not the life that she wants. And it's not the life that she ultimately chooses for herself. Yeah. Uh, And then you have Arwen, who is the one who waits at home basically yeah, I mean, she's yeah. busy, she's making the banner she's doing but she's not necessarily a warrior going out and doing things she's not necessarily going out trying to make a name for herself she is living a very quiet life for a thousand years um, <laughs> yeah waiting for aragorn to become the king of gondor so that she can have the life that she wants and that's not always a story that people appreciate because it's not exciting like, it's, it doesn't make her a very strong character in a lot of people's eyes. And at the same time, like, there are women, like, there are a lot of people who, there are a lot of women, probably men too, who are perfectly happy living a small yeah. life and it's, willing to, like, work hard and tell what, you know, until the circumstances are correct and they get to have their dreams.
0: I think it's easy for us to look around the world today and see... I, well, I think it's easy for some people. Unfortunately, <laughs> not for everybody. But it's easy to look around and say, you know, different people have different ideas of what it means to lead a fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that and that's easy for you to see. But when it comes to reading our stories, yes, I th- this is a this is a story, and and so it's supposed to be grand and adventurous. And how dare she, you know,
1: yeah, kind how of be, be be
0: fulfilled <laughs> with with this role anyway. So. Uh yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic with Arwen versus Aowen. That's a good one. So, uh, I guess is there anything else we want to say about Aragorn and Arwen? I do love their death scenes so much. Oh my gosh, heartbreaking! Oh, when she goes, she so. For anybody who's unfamiliar, um, he finally dies at the ripe old age of what two hundred and fifty or something like that, and she is so heartbroken that she says she kisses her kids good goodbye and goes to Lothlorien and it says that uh, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the page open here but uh Galadriel was already gone Celeborn was gone everybody's gone the land was quiet and she just went there because this is where she spent a lot of time in her youth with her uh I I think Galadriel's her grandmother yeah and she just laid down and died yeah. And there's her grave and it's undisturbed and you know it there it will <laughs> remain until until everybody forgets about her and She's it's oh
1: alone. She just yeah. dies alone.
0: So Discord comments, Megan. Okay. You ready for this? Sure. Have you have you been looking at these by the way?
1: Uh yes. I looked at oh, some okay. of them. there were a lot of names that I didn't <laughs> names of characters that I didn't recognize. So I'm excited to see go ahead and ask questions.
0: All right, Uh, well, first of all, the Dark Lord Brandt, when I said, you know, do you have any comments or questions about the uh, Lord of the Rings appendices? The Dark Lord Brandt says, do Heretics of Dune next. Okay, Megan? So I I hope you took that to heart. I Uh,
1: do take it to heart. (laughs) (laughs) Took it to heart in the way that they do in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom.
0: You you took that heart and- I took uh, that
1: heart and I crushed it.
0: And burst into flames.
1: I do know that Todd and Ken do plan on doing that.
0: Yeah, they That's do. Fun. They do. And I think they're going to get Jack Butler on if I can do anything about that. So, I hope so. I, I'm, I'm, I'll invite him anyway. So, okay. Why do you think Gimli was allowed into Valinor? Well, uh, it's a good question. And the answer, of course, is that we don't know why Gimli was allowed into Valinor, but we have some possible answers for that uh basically he was uh he was named an elf friend so that's something uh and he was uh we know that he was kind of a what's the right word a devotee of the lady galadriel who may have interceded on his behalf uh which i think is a lovely a lovely idea so if i were to stake my flag in anything it would be that one galadriel says you know what this is a a a dwarf unlike any other and he belongs with us until his dying day and uh, let him in. And so so he gets let in. I like that idea. So. I go with that. Okay, all right, good. I like that too. Uh so that that was from Hurin Fan. Thank you, Hurin Fan ashaman asks which is more tragic the fate of numenor or that of the elves specifically the noldor i've always had a soft spot for the elves personally but numenor is the story i want to see expanded on the most okay so ashaman um i'll take this one <laughs> the story of the Numenorians is the more tragic and the more upsetting because uh, for, for those who haven't read the Silmarillion, it, it this is touched on a little bit in the appendices, which is why I'm saying it's fair game. You get little sketches of it, uh, but it is uh, really fleshed out in the Silmarillion. The elves, the Noldor, rebel against the gods, and they leave the Blessed Lands, and they come to Middle-earth, and they wage war on the Dark Lord and all this stuff, uh, but essentially if I'm drawing a parallel here, it's like a teenager throwing a hissy fit and saying, I'm, I'm running away from home. And they run away from home. <laughs> I'm out of here, mom and dad. You can't tell me what to do. I'm leaving. And they take off. Okay, so that's the Noldor. And then they're out in, continuing with the analogy, right? The teenager is out and they get, they get cold and they don't, you know, oh, what, am, what am I gonna do? Uh, boy, that was a bad idea after all, wasn't it? And so after, you know, a few thousand years, they're like um we'd really like to come back (laughs) and the gods are like you know you can come back not all the way but you can essentially come back let's uh let's mend these fences right so you bring the the teenager back the story of the Numenorians is a bit like that except um it's imagine this isn't a perfect analogy because they didn't quite run away from home the way the noldor did but these were people who were blessed by the gods. They're given everything. They're given this wonderful land to live in, mm-hmm. and they don't just rebel. They go and try to conquer the blessed realm and the gods. Okay, so this yeah. would be the the teenager coming back home with a gun. Um, you know what I mean? Like, yes. look, I know it's it's an upsetting analogy, but that's kind of the point. Is it's a really upsetting story to read? If you really
1: disrespectful, that. just.
0: Well, that, that's the thing. The Noldor were disrespectful. That's one thing. But the Numenorians gathered together the world's largest fleet ever seen and invade the blessed realm. And the only the only thing that stops them is God, not the gods, but God has to uh, essentially take <laughs> care of the problem. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go with the Noldor on that one, but it's a good question. I like that question. So thank you, Ashiman. I
1: learned a lot uh, just now.
0: <laughs> Megan, here's one for you. Okay. Da- uh, Daniel Green, our uh, our YouTube friend, asks if an ant falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Yes. Yeah. What does it say?
1: Well, the ant can hear it.
0: <laughs> the, the ant. Just yeah, the sound is the sound can is. Hear it.
1: <laughs> It'd be like it would be. It would be why, but in the language of the ants, so it would
0: have twenty-seven syllables. I, I would, I would want it to be, oh shit!
1: <laughs> I don't know what to do right now.
0: <laughs> and once the ant is on the ground, the, what? Yeah, what nobody can hear is the ant saying, "I've fallen and I can't get up." <laughs> All right. So, thank you, Daniel Green. Uh, <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, uh, here's another funny one Kiptan asks where do you think genealogical charts should be put in the book the beginning the end in text with or without footnotes <laughs> uh yeah genealogical charts i here's the thing i have barely spent any time on them compared to all the other stuff in the appendices everybody has things that they love i love the language stuff I don't care about the genealogies very much.
1: That's funny because I think the genealogies are my favorite part. I literally as a kid used to like do genealogies of my Barbie doll families. And like, you know, literally this is their whole name and their age. And this is how they're related to this doll. And it was very, oh my
0: gosh, I was a strange
1: child and it was awesome.
0: You, you and Tolkien. But I, I
1: kinda, I, I like that they have these charts where you kind of know who all of sam's kids are and that he literally named a child after everyone except for himself (laughs) right you know and yeah and then everybody else has like one kid but then there's sam and he has a million children
0: fun fact my my daughter was almost named eleanor spelled the way that spelled the way that sam spelled it
1: sure um so oh i love that
0: very close uh in fact my son my firstborn would have been named that if he had been a girl so well, uh anyway
1: i approve i know you needed my approval so there it is
0: well i mean i didn't because we didn't use it but it I was know, very I close
1: like
0: we had our like top five names for each of them and and uh, yeah that Although, was our, one of our top you, five girl names
1: if you had named your firstborn if she had been a girl and you'd named her eleanor she probably would have been mad at you because everybody would have spelled it wrong Yep. That's,
0: life. that is one of the things that made me not do it. So, yeah. all right. and then I, and then I gave her a name that was even harder to spell. Okay. <laughs> so let's go on to your last great knight uh, asks, even though Tolkien hated allegory, why did he make a Vala? He said Arda, but I think he meant Vala. That was the strongest, AKA most beloved, AKA Lucifer. <laughs> um, that's not allegory. That's echo. Uh, and it's perfectly within bounds. And also even though Tolkien said that he cordially dislikes allegory, there are reasons to think that even he didn't take that 100% to heart. Go listen to our episode on Leaf by Niggle and uh, prepare for some tears. So, Or I shouldn't say from our episode. Our episode won't make you cry, but the story will. You should go read yeah, the story. Yeah, I
1: need to reread that. It's been a while.
0: You should. So. Uh, okay. Yobtox asks, which part of the appendices adds the most to your enjoyment of the greater work? I feel like we kind of covered this Mm -hmm. as we talked about Appendix A, so maybe we'll move on and say also, as a calendar system, do you prefer Shire or King's Reckoning? Did you get to the calendar, stuff?
1: Yes, Uh, I guess I don't really have an opinion. Yeah, I, 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 suppose I would lean more towards the Shire Reckoning just because <laughs> that's what we mostly get. And yeah. it's less, I, it's just, I feel like there's a lot going on. You say words now.
0: What One thing I like, I so I prefer Shire Reckoning. I, I kind of feel like this question is just somebody who's like, uh, oh shoot, I read something about calendars in So Okay, I'm going to put that down. <laughs> but fine, if you put it down, I'm going to answer it. I prefer Shire Reckoning uh, because I, I like One of the things I enjoy about the Shire calendar is the days that stand apart. So you have mid-year's day, Overlife, or Overlitha, whatever, however you want to call it. Uh, Overlife is uh, mid-year's day, and it is not part of any month. It stands between months. Uh, So essentially between uh, there, June, and July, right? And it's the same thing with uh, Yule. So, you know, obviously they don't have Christmas at this point, but Yule would basically be your uh, your uh, winter, winter solstice festival, yeah. whatever. So you have two days uh, that are not part of any month and uh, they're just called Yule. And so you have uh, four Yule, which is the like their December, basically. Mm-hmm. And then after Yule is their January. And there's two days between them that aren't part of the calendar or aren't part of any month. And I think that's kind of fun.
1: I do too. I like
0: that. It feels to me like if, like, let's take Christmas Day or New Year's Day. Maybe New Year's Day is a better example. If New Year's Day literally was not a part of January and was not a part of December, it was just a day by itself, it would feel more like a celebration or worthy of a celebration. Like... No, of course you don't have work or school that day. It's not even January.
1: Yeah, it's like a free day in the year.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go with Shire calendar on that one. I right. like that question. So thank you, Talks. Uh Talks. fan asks, what Middle Earth language do you like the most? Not strictly an appendices question, but anyway. Um, uh, uh, Sindarin. There you go. Which... Me- which- Megan, do you... Do you have Which one?
1: peoples is that?
0: Uh, uh, that is the the gray elven tongue, and so there's the high elven, okay, uh, and then there's the gray elven. So basically, Sindarin is um, the elvish that they speak. Uh, you know, after thousands of years of being in Middle Earth, and so mm-hmm. it's changed, it's evolved, and some of the consonants have shifted, and the vowels have shifted a little bit. And sure. yeah, I, I I really like the sound of it. So there all you go.
1: right. i Um, I did not get that far in the appendices i'm sorry no
0: i i I Uh, really don't blame you and if you follow the legendarium on instagram and you did that a month ago then you got to hear a sample of me speaking sindarin so i'm not going to do it now though but maybe i will if people pledge enough on patreon
1: (laughs) do Uh. it do it
0: (laughs) all right where was i horizon brave now with all three books done, as you look back on the map of all Middle-earth Arda, is there any region where you wish we would have spent more time? I like this. The maps are, I, I'm going to call maps a part of the appendix. I mean, they're not really, but they're kind of yeah. part of the story. But still, I think it's a good question. Are there any regions you would like to spend more time in? I would like to spend more time Um. oh gosh, that's a Yeah, it's a great question. All right, Southern Gondor um, that's along the sea. So it's between the White Mountains and the sea. And it's kind of this, uh, it's Gondor's breadbasket. It's where all their farming and stuff happens. And uh, so lots of, and it just seems like it would be a great region with uh, the cool air off the ocean and the mountains right next to you and the delightful pastoral farmland. And so it might be boring story-wise, but I would like to spend time there.
1: It might be, but, I mean, being along the coast, there could be a lot of, you know, Corsair Raiders and yeah. harrying that way. Yeah. I don't know. I uh, I don't know if I think of it as spe- as like a specific land, but in reading the appendices, because you mentioned this in the last episode, um, yeah. that there are a whole bunch of battles there that are going on at the same time that Aragorn yes. and everybody are, are at Mount Doom. And I would have liked to have known a little bit more about those,
0: so can we, yeah, let's pause on that a little bit because I think that's fantastic. You really like the chronology, and so do <laughs> I. And if we go to in the uh, in the single volume version of the Lord of the Rings uh, that's most often printed now, it's on page ten seventy. This is uh, the beginning of appendix or no, it's not the beginning of Appendix B. It's Appendix B the chief days from the fall of Barad-dûr to the end of the Third Age. So we just found out in the chronology that it was March 25th that uh, the ring was destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. Okay, so March 25th. Then on the next page, we see March 27th, Bard II and and Thorin III, Stonehelm, drive the enemy from Dale. March 28th, Celeborn crosses Anduin, destruction of Dol Guldur begun. And then they end up meeting. Uh, Celeborn and Thranduil meet. Anyway, so it's two days after the giant battle at the Black Gate and Frodo's destruction of the ring right. that there's another big battle that happens up on uh, Erebor. Oh, yeah. And this is all we get. This is all we know about it.
1: It's true. And they there's also a comment in the Eorl's Folk mm-hmm. section that talks about how... Um, Aylmer spent a lot of his time going out and uh, defeating a lot of them because they, there were still a lot of enemies and enemies. Yeah. And, and there were still a lot of bad p- folks out there <laughs> <laughs> that they were trying to fight against. I mean, Sauron being defeated was the big battle, but they still had a whole lot of little battles that they needed to yeah. fight after that. There was, and that's one of the things that I like about the appendices. I like knowing that Sam was apparently the mayor for years and years and years. And, years, and I like, I don't know. I just like knowing those kind of things. And yeah. I, I kinda like knowing what happens afterwards.
0: Yeah, okay. I, like where uh, it I is, hear that,
1: but I also kinda like knowing what happens afterwards.
0: Yeah. Don't ever finish the what? What? Okay. So I'm gonna <laughs> bleep that out. I'm I'm gonna bleep that out. Okay. Uh okay. So let's move to okay, here's a great question. Ashiman asks, What happened to the blue wizards in your head cannon? Are you familiar with this?
1: I am not. What are the blue wizards?
0: Okay. So the Istari are the wizards. And okay. there were five of them sent from Valinor to Middle-earth to aid in the fight against Sauron. Okay. And so Gandalf was one of them. Uh, Saruman was another. Saruman being the head of the Istari. And sure. then the third was Radagast. Right. Who we meet briefly. Right. Uh, but there were two others and they're mentioned very briefly as the two blue wizards. And it, all that we know is that they came across with the other three and then the two blue wizards um, wandered into the East and were never seen again. That's it. That's all we get. And so there are all sorts of wild theories about the blue wizards. Um, if you, if you play shadow of Mordor, uh, it was a game that came out, uh, gosh, nearly a decade ago now. It seems like maybe, maybe not that long. I don't know. Uh, but in the shadow of Mortar Game, uh, it's it's like they're twins who read each other's thoughts and finish each other's sentences, and so it's like it's one person with uh, two people with one mind and that sort of thing. I don't I don't like that as much. But what I do like is the idea that they went east and ended up installing themselves as um as leaders of different tribes of you know maybe the southruns or the easterlings or something and became warlords much like Sauruman, but without the uh, ring hunger that he had um right. so i i've always liked that idea there is absolutely no textual support for that <laughs> so as long as we're yeah, talking about headcanon
1: yeah you can make up your own story exactly pretend you're one of the blue wizards and (laughs) this is what you do (laughs) oh that's terrifying
0: so if you if you got to the last uh appendix i think it's the last appendix yeah appendix f on uh, on translation so it's after the languages and peoples of middle earth and then on translation we learned that uh, frodo is not frodo's name Frodo's name. Well, and so I'll just read Circle Breaker's question: How okay. different do you think Lord of the Rings would have been, would have been received if Frodo had been called Mara Labingi instead?
1: Okay, I wondered where that came from. <laughs> because what? Why?
0: Yeah, I, I, I love it. So that's the on translation bit is one of my favorite moments in all of the appendices because it's basically Tolkien. Um, saying look uh you know i i had to i had to i had to cut some corners here i couldn't call him maura Labingi, okay yeah that was his name fine but uh no it's, it's it's he's Proto, he's Proto, and and here's why so uh or i like that he says yeah i've translated anything that was understandable to western speakers as english so when you read english this is actually i i I translated this from the Western tongue. And so anything that was not comprehensible to them. So whether it was dwarvish words or elvish words or black speech, that was, I I left that in as uh, the original language, but I translated everything else. And what this does is it gives them a little bit of cover, gives them just a little bit of cover for things like when they're in the Shire and Gandalf's fireworks are going off Mm -hmm. and the dragon comes in and flies over the Shire folk. Right. And he uses the phrase like an express train. It came on like an express train.
1: Right. We talked about that before. Yeah.
0: Yes. And so that's that's why he feels like he can get away with using that because he's like, well, look, I, I, I can't say you're at a point in the story right now where if I say it came on like a like a cave troll... You might not understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's going to make more sense if I say uh, an express train. So yeah, I like on translation.
1: No, that is okay. That's kind of genius though, because that's what, I mean, I know he was a linguist and I don't know if that's translating was part of that, but like, I've just seen so many things that have been translated that do a similar thing where they're like, there isn't really a word for this. (laughs) So I'm just going to use their word Yeah. and hope you get the context. That is fascinating.
0: Um all right we're coming to the end here and uh gosh i i can't imagine that th- this feels weird it just feels like um like my elbow patches never got taken off for this episode so i i hope people enjoy it okay but uh, <laughs> i guess we'll see how it's received well i consider um,
1: myself a regular person and i enjoyed it
0: so i don't <laughs> there you know go.
1: how everybody else feels they will probably let us know
0: well yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Lammy Lambs asks, uh, let's pretend that Tolkien's works are being passed to a modern writer. First, what bit of lore would you like to see expanded? And second, what writer would you like to see handle that? Um, oh, oh, boy. Gosh. So it, just so Tolkien's works are being passed to a modern writer, so it's not necessarily the Lord of the Rings itself. Right. Um, I There's- actually... I would like to see, uh, and this this is going to sound like a recency bias. I promise it's not. I just think it would be a lot of fun. I would like to see the blue wizards expanded. Yeah. Because I think all of the wizards that we know, all three that we know about are really fascinating. Even Radagast. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we only get a quick few moments with him. I think his, the idea of Radagast kind of getting lost among the natural world uh, is very interesting. And, and uh, so I'd like to see the other wizards uh, explored and, and find out what happened to them. What about you?
1: Oh, I think I would probably choose the dwarves. Oh, yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to fill in some of the gaps with the dwarves there. Um, I, and at the same time, I I kind of like, like, as opposed to the blue wizards where we know almost nothing about them, and so this writer would pretty much be making it up and then it's like, yeah. wait, is that canon or is that fan fiction? I hate that, so I've decided that, <laughs> but like with the dwarves, there's a little bit more of a background more of a yeah mm-hmm. uh, i can't think of the word
0: yeah it's it's you're a, it, you are more tantalized by the story of the dwarves than you are by the blue wizards or oh, whatever that.
1: Else. and it would be more a little bit more of they would just be kind of fleshing out the existing story
0: oh i see okay yeah yeah which there's, I, a I kind of like, there's a foundation there's a yeah, there's a tolkienian yeah. foundation upon which to build
1: and they add more pe- me They'd add more pieces, and they added more characters because you know, if you're gonna take eight pages of something and make it into a, you know, eight hundred page novel, you need yeah. to do that. But I, I like that there's an outline. That's what I
0: was trying to, trying to. Say. <laughs> and do you have an answer to who you would like to see do that?
1: I do not.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, have
1: to think about that.
0: The I'm I'm gonna have to go with the obvious one here and say Guy Gabriel K just because Guy Gabriel K did help to write the Silmarillion so oh okay um he he assisted Christopher Tolkien in actually as far as I understand I I I could be slightly off base and uh you know uh, Guy Gabriel K is welcome to give me a call and set me straight but I believe that he helped with the actual prose. And Christopher Tolkien was largely in charge of, you know, compiling the notes and making sure the chronology was in order and the thrust of the story was good. But Guy Gabriel K. actually did the writing um, in large measure. So I'm going to go with that one. Uh, All right, Megan, anything else that you want to talk about? I think I have one more topic, but I want to ask you, is there anything else from the appendices that you wanted to uh, express your frustration or joy over?
1: No, I think I've, I think I've said most of what I wanted to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I will say that uh, this stuff, the appendices is actually in large part responsible for my life path. (laughs) And so I am I am almost as passionate about the appendices as I am about the rest of the Lord of the Rings because, and it's and it's weird, it's one of those unexpected things too, where you're reading through the appendices and for you, it was like, oh, this chronology is great. Wow, genealogies, oh, amazing. Yeah. And, and some of the other stuff, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't care about your runic alphabet. Oh, whereas as, as I was reading through the Lord of the Rings, I, you know, I'm... Uh, 16 17 years old when i read it the first time i think i was 16 and the alphabets and the language and the pronunciation guide just grabbed me by the shoulders and wouldn't let me go and i was so entranced by it uh that you know i started to learn how to write things in elvish and i learned just a little bit about uh the language itself and all this stuff and i i loved every minute of it so i went to college and went into linguistics because I had learned that I loved language so much because of the Lord of the Rings appendices. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I went into linguistics and I learned all about you know, translation and editing and I became a writer and all this stuff. And um, I don't know that I would be where I am now, literally on a microphone. I don't know that I would be right here without a love of the Lord of the Rings appendices. So there you go.
1: It's amazing how your life can change just like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, be set just like that. Love that. That's
0: cool. So Megan. Yes. Thanks for joining. Right. And uh, thanks to everybody else for listening in. This was, it was an interesting episode. I I will be, uh, I will be interested to hear what people have to say about it. So hit us up on discord on Reddit and let us know what you think of uh, this kind of looser format. It's basically just a Q and A for most yep. of this episode. And uh, I hope you guys all enjoyed it. And thank you again for listening to our Lord of the Rings series. I know this is an odd cap to it, but uh, it's a worthy one. We have to talk about the appendices. So yeah, it's uh, pretty
1: awesome. I'm glad you wanted to do this.
0: Yeah. yeah. So if you enjoy what we do, then please visit us uh, and join the conversation on Discord and on Reddit, especially. And hit us up on Patreon if you appreciate what what we do and if you're in a position to do so at the moment. I know, you know, the world is weird right now, so. Uh, but if you are in a position where you can help us out, we would greatly appreciate that. So patreon.com legendarium or go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and you can hit us up on Reddit or find the link to the Discord page there as well. So, Megan, this is it for our Lord of the Rings stuff for a while. Oh, okay yeah i'll see you on the next one whatever that is
1: all right that'll be fun it will not be heretics of doom sorry
0: (laughs) not not for you anyway not for me (laughs) all right bye everybody